This is a Stimulus Network podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. Today's episode is all about Proxima, the 2020 film from Alice Winnicott, starring Ava Green. I'm Andrew, and with me today are... Tyson. And... Tosna Commissariat. And... Ajin Wow, we had surnames. That's a first on the shed. It's very <laughs> nice to have you all here. And I think everybody knows you all. Uh, but, you know, Ajin has not been on as many. So what, just tell us a little bit about you before we go on. So... Um... I am a science fan and science communicator, and I work um, at the home of the Large Hadron Collider, uh, CERN. And um, I mostly like talking about what we do there and talking about films, apparently. So here I am. <laughs> you also edited our last episode. So that's nice of you. Thank you for that. Uh, it was, I mean, I received it in a near complete version and all I had to do was snip out one minute. So I really don't think I'm going to put that on my CVS editing, but I will take credit for it. Okay, I'll tell you what, why don't you edit this one and then you can put it on your CV? It sounds like a plan. <laughs> so, Ajinja's editing this episode. Thank you for that. That's brilliant. Before we go any further, I have to say that it's not just us for because we have an interview with the director of the film, Proxima, Alice Winnicott. Some people, especially in French cinema, uh, sometimes they have those autobiographical stories. But to me... I have to project myself in a very distant and unknown world. And uh, in the process, I'm always first attracted by this world that I want to discover. Uh, for my first movie, it was like a psychiatric hospital in the 19th century. And uh, then the second film was soldiers getting back from Afghanistan. So it can be very different type of things. And I'm, I'm drawn to it. I don't know why. And then... And for this one, I've always been fascinated by space, but I didn't know anything about that world. I'm neither a fan of, of uh, space movies, but um, I had a poetical attraction for space. And so I decided to go to Cologne and then I started to meet some people and I told them that we could do a film about a woman astronaut. Much more from Alice later in the podcast, but first, Ty... Tell us about the film. Uh, well, like you said, this is the latest film from uh, French director Alice Winnicott, who did uh, Mustang, uh, Disorder, Augustine and Ordinary People. She's a, a well-established uh, director. And this is kind of her latest film, which uh, looks at uh, Eva Green's astronaut preparing for a year up on the International Space Station. And uh, it's her career ambition. Uh, the only problem is, if it is a problem, is that she's separated from her husband and she's kind of got a young daughter that she really loves. And she's got to deal with what that year-long separation is going to do to their relationship. So the film is all about uh, Sarah, which is Eva Green's character, uh, preparing for the mission, going through the physical and mental training, uh, getting to know her fellow astronauts and balancing that fine line between achieving her dreams of becoming an astronaut on the ISS and being a mother to her seven-year-old daughter, Stella. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see this film back in January uh, in my job role working for the BFI. And I think it only came out last month when cinemas finally reopened. It was one of the first indie titles available for cinemas to show uh, once the lockdown ended. So audiences are finally getting around to seeing the film. And by all the reviews I've seen, people are loving it as well they should, because I really enjoyed this film. Yeah, one of the reviews you may have seen was in Physics World. Um, it's in the Physics World, the September edition of the Physics World magazine, and on the Physics World website, physicsworld.com, written by a very talented man who shares my name, because it was me, I wrote oh. it. Uh, so thanks to Tushna for making it better, or rather editing what I'd written. Uh, you can read that on the Physics World website. We'll, of course, post a link to it on the Cosmic Shed website. But you can also hear it here on the Cosmic Shed. But Toshna, 
given that you edited what I wrote and made it much better, what um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the that's the role of an editor though? I'm not I'm not doing myself down too Indeed. much. Um, what what uh, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed the film, um, and I thought it was really interesting. It was not what I expected, and I actually really hadn't heard much about it before we watched it, so that was nice. But I thought it was I thought it was really well done. I I enjoyed it. Um, but it did make me angry, not uh, not at the film, but mm. more just you know annoyed about mm. the world in mm. general. That's um, but no, I enjoyed the film, and I really uh, I, I thought Eva Green did an unbelievably good job. Uh, and I thought it was especially interesting, and this is something that we kind of highlighted a little bit in the review, um, didn't we, Andrew, about this sort of parent-child relationship in sci-fi, which has become a bit of a theme. Yes. Um, when you look at Ad Astra and Interstellar. Yeah. But I think some people kind of thought that Proxima was going to be the same or was going to be that kind of parent-child relationship. And um, funnily enough, you know, Ty, you said that all the reviews you'd seen were positive. Um, I was really surprised to see that The Guardian gave it a two-star review, or one of their reviewers anyway, um, Peter Bradshaw. Oh, who Peter does Bradshaw, science. yes. Yeah, well, I, I, mean... I kind of sometimes... The, the Guardian's a funny about. one because with the recent release of Tenet, they had three different reviews that came out, which yes. ranged from five star to one star. Oh, so really? they can really yeah. cover the gamut on their kind of uh, <laughs> opinions when it comes to film. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But, but he kind of said that, you know, he just thought, he, he to him, it felt like this, he thought there was going to be some like post-apocalyptic, really scary, like there was going to be some monster that was about to come out because the whole tone of it was a bit dark and a bit slow and he kept waiting for that. And so I think that he was coming to it from maybe the crazy place of Ad Astra. Yeah. Uh, or maybe he thought it was going to be that kind of high octane thriller. And um, like you rightfully pointed out, this is sci-fi so much so as it's science and it's fictional. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, beyond that, it's much more uh, reality-based. So well, I, I don't yeah. know Bradshaw. I don't know. I haven't read the review, but just going on that, I'd say he's wrong. And um, it, I mean, you can't watch this film and expect a monster to come out. What film is he watching? He says, at first, it seems as if something scary and startling is just around the corner. Yeah. So, you know, and a psychological strain. So he thought that, you know, there'd be something like that. Maybe not an actual monster, but you know what I mean. Something. Okay. But yeah, I don't think it was quite a psychological thriller in that sense. So. No, I'm not I, sure you can criticise a film for not being what you thought what you it ex- might be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, that's what he's done. Well, well, Achinta, you've literally just watched it. So what? It, it give us your first impressions. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I went into it with absolutely no expectations, having read no reviews, uh, even yours, Andrew, you sent us a link, but I said, you know, I will go into this um, with no knowledge of what to expect. And it was, the, the movie seemed slow, but was well paced, if that makes any sense, because every scene that was there made sense. It didn't seem like there was something uh, unnecessary or superfluous to the storytelling. So it seemed... Um, very well constructed. And I really, really enjoyed getting a peek into the Soviet era and now modern Russian space agency launch, uh, the, the training, the place where they stay and all of that, getting like an inside peek was, was really cool. I also enjoyed the relationship between the mother and daughter and how it strained in places where she refused to speak to her mom in French and chose to speak to her in German, which is her father's uh, language. What I found missing, I have to say, and and this also was triggered based on reading your review, was the complete lack of friendships, which I know the sort of role that astronauts are in, especially when they're in the ISS, there's isolation, loneliness component built into the job. But the fact that she had almost no friends that she could reach out to for support to help you know, like she's got this ex-husband who probably isn't going to be a very good dad and she's very worried about it. And he's snarky and dismissive of her concerns when she does go to him because she doesn't seem to have anyone else. She's got this mission commander who is like, oh, woman, huh? you're going to be cooking for us in space. huh? Mm-hmm. And then you've got an empathetic uh, 
third member of the crew, the the cosmonaut Anton. And but outside of that, and this and this pseudo maternal figure that Stella has to be with in the absence of her mother, she didn't have anyone to talk to. I mean, she's like, oh my my um, her mom has passed away. We don't know anything about the rest of her family, and that jarred upon reflection. Like, it's a she's going through a lot personally, and there was no one for her to talk to except for a slightly snarky ex-husband who's looking after her daughter. Okay, we'll come back to that. But I think now is a good time to go to Alice Winokur again, because I asked her what the film was about. I don't think the um, film should give a message. But uh, yeah, to me, the film was really about um, this this relationship between a mother and a daughter and uh, how, how to separate. And uh, because this mother is also an astronaut, she has to separate from her daughter, but she also has to separate from the Earth. So, and how hard it is to separate from, because I think you belong to this planet. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, to me, there was a poetical thing about the relationship between those two things. Uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, the, it, there was a poetical parallel between those two things, that she was an astronaut at the same time. So, for Alice, the film is at least in part about separation. Does that make you feel better about the, the, the lack of friends? Uh, I don't know, because separation doesn't necessarily mean isolation in, in that sense to me. You could explore those themes without necessarily feeling, without necessarily being completely lonely. Um, so I guess there was some overlap in that telling, but there needs to, I guess the bonds that she was trying to explore in the movie were were uh, Sarah's bonds to her daughter and then sort of Sarah's bonds to earth as she then expresses later on. For Sarah, being a single mum and being an astronaut probably takes up all her time. Like that is probably her life. Um, And maybe she just doesn't have those kind of close friendships or she just doesn't maintain them because really managing those two things, that's it, that's her world, you know, and which is why maybe even the loss of Stella and the breakdown of their relationship. And and even that was so beautifully done because it was so subtle. It was so sort of slow, you know, um, I think one of the bits that really hit me was like when Stella starts developing that crush on that neighbor boy or that boy who plays downstairs or whatever, you could just imagine how much she would have wanted to talk about that with her mom or how much her mom would have kind of wanted to know that and that she, you know, like, it's not like they ever really talk about that even when they do have their little catch up at the end. And so there's so many little moments like that. So I think, yeah, I think Sarah's world is Stella and being an astronaut, and that's it. That's all she has time and space for. Um, space and for, maybe huh? we're meant to see, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that maybe it is isolating trying to be an astronaut and a parent, and that's it, you know? Yeah, I, I, I buy that, I buy that. Um, I, maybe her, I mean, it's just, sometimes you have close friends that you don't stay in touch with all the time, but they're there. But I guess my, my point is that it would go against the grain of the storytelling of the film to sort of introduce random. Mm, indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, so there is, a, there is a question mark which, about the film, which I think we both had, Toshna, when we watched it, which um, we'll leave towards the end of the podcast because it is a major spoiler and I want people to be able to listen. But um, you said when you talked about it originally, that it made you angry. So, so without giving away the spoiler, you know, Sarah makes what seems like a bit of a crazy decision. Um, she does something that seems like, why the fuck would you do that kind of thing? And that was both all of our initial reactions almost, like, why would you do that? But then the minute I kind of thought about it, I realized that she almost had her arm twisted into doing that if she didn't want to completely and absolutely leave on a really negative note. And the more I thought about it, what I realized is that throughout the film, genuinely, um, she's failed. 
she's failed by all the people around her but more than anyone you know initially you know it's very easy to hate on Mike was that his name Matt Dillon's character Mike yeah, yeah Commander, Commander Mike and he is he is really awful but he's kind of almost awful and then he kind of gets a little bit better and it's not even about him really the character that I wanted to punch in the face at the end of the film was the husband because he is just like okay I get it he's taking care of Stella and she's not completely falling apart and hiding in her room and he's you know managing to feed her and keep her alive but in every other sense you know so many of the things the reasons why that relationship between um Sarah and Stella deteriorates is because he isn't there encouraging it and supporting it you know like when she phones and instead of encouraging Stella to talk to her mom when she's feeling a bit stroppy he's like oh she doesn't want to talk to you you know we can't we can't organize our lives around you uh yeah maybe you could for 10 minutes that day your ex-wife was going into fucking space next month um you know or maybe you could make sure you catch your flight on time so that you don't miss all your connections so that you know she gets the chance like to see her daughter he was just so useless right up to the end Mm. that I was just like uh you know um and so starting with him and then all the people around her you know, she is kind of let down by them all. And, and it's a battle with her against all of them. And that, that, that was the anger and the frustration okay. that even though she's doing this amazing job and she's, she's going to be this kick-ass astronaut in space for a year, she still has to deal with all the shit that women have to do. Yeah, um, I think that's the thing. Yeah. I, definitely for me, that was a frustration. Well, as I say, the the decision will come to at the end of the podcast because there was mm. Alice, Alice has a very good answer to why that happened. But I, 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 um, my my frustration was that it wasn't it wasn't showing. And, and this is again, I guess I, you're going to shout at me now, Ty, for uh, being cross with the film because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But I I wanted her to succeed more in but in both of those things. And that's not what the film is. The film isn't telling that story, but I found that frustrating when I first watched it. Having spoken to Alice, I no longer found it frustrating. And maybe if I hadn't spoken to the director of the film, I I also might've, you know, come round to that way of thinking as well. I just wanted to peek behind the curtain of writing a review for people, if, if people don't do that. So I wrote in my review that Matt Dillon played I didn't use this word, but played the wanker Mike all too well. And Toshna changed that to say that he played him perfectly. Now, can you tell us what your thinking was on changing that? Those words? <laughs> it was, it was like a near perfect characterization of this awful boorish man who, you know, like, I mean, and th- th- there's a few other bits in the film that, you know, she wasn't, um, Sarah wasn't initially meant to be the one as part of that team. And I, I think we would like to um, believe that there was another man who was meant to be part of that team. And so she comes in later in that. And, the, you know, Matt, Matt's character is so, he's so sort of self-assured and just feels like he knows everything and everything that is going on. He, I don't know, he just, he played that character to such a T and he played that character that he plays in sort of other, much more non um, serious films, mm. the dickhead character, the yes, douchebag. Yes, yes. um, only he managed to extend that really well to <laughs> being an astronaut, um, showing that you can do any job in this world and mm. um, be a complete douchebag. You can get the very top job in this world, or at least in some Indeed. of the countries in this world, by being <laughs> a, the uh, biggest, most ignorant moron to walk the earth. Apparently. Indeed. And also the UK. So I was worried about, um, well, not worried about, but I was sort of perturbed by the boorish behaviour of the other astronauts. I like to think of astronauts as being better people than that. So I That's put, just because you've met some really nice astronauts. <laughs> is that what it is? is it, it might I, be. I've just might met the be. nice ones. Yeah, I think that might be the case because when I spoke to Alice about it this is what she said i'm sorry to tell you that it's worse than what matt does in the film but the thing is to me it's not the worst thing i mean 
as women, we are really used to this kind of macho way of behaving and we don't really care. As astronauts don't really care because they know it's kind of jokes or whatever. But I think the worst thing is uh, like self-censorship that women do because they think they have to choose between their career and their work. And that's why there are only 10% of women astronauts uh, in the world, which is not much. I think it's because they don't dare to dream that women don't dare to dream that they, um, they can do that kind of job and that they think if they want children, they have to choose between the two. So the, the whole story is a story of liberation uh, that she's, which the film shows it is very hard. It is harder for women because you have to do the same task as men and a little more to prove that you are capable of doing and that you are credible in that world. And also you have to adapt yourself to a world that is think by men for men, for example, with a spacesuit, uh, which is, which, uh, that is designed for men and the whole uh, weight is on shoulders, whereas women are more strong on hips and all of those kind of things that it makes this job very, very hard for women, more than men, mm. but, uh, but still they can do it. And, uh, and I think, yeah, it's a, a story of liberation. First thing that came was the idea of this woman astronaut. And uh, I, could, I felt that it could resonate with other things. And then I realized that, uh, yeah, the thing I wanted to talk about was this very complex relationship between a mother and a daughter, and also that you never see superheroines in films uh, with children uh, because uh, if there is superheroines, there's a lot in gravity, in, uh, in space, but uh, they, have, they don't have children. But in real life, all those astronauts I've met, uh, they do have children, as you see in the very end of the film with those pictures. So I thought, I don't know why cinema had remained silent about those questions. Of, uh, and so I thought, uh, yeah, I had to change the perspective and tell the story from this point of view. I'll tell you what, the, the young actress whose name I, I have here, uh, Zelie Boulon, who played Stella, I thought she was wonderful yeah. uh, as Absolutely. the daughter. And um, in regards to what you guys were saying earlier, um, when I saw it, I saw it in, uh, in my work life. And when I saw it at a preview screening, I was with lots of um, female colleagues. And there was a lot of discussion after the film about the ending, uh, about whether the character of Sarah should have done what she'd done. And there was lots of debate about kind of like, as Tushna said, if she hadn't done it, she's leaving on a bad note. But by doing what she's doing, is she proving some of the men right that, you know, she's so emotional, but then she takes every possible precaution doing what she's doing. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there was a good post-film beer discussion about that ending. I'm still not entirely sure where I come down on it because I thought that when that happened, I kind of inhaled sharply through my teeth and I was like, that's not great. But then it kind of cuts to her, you know, breaking out the iodine. And I was like, that's better, I guess. Um, Is that because she was in the shower that you thought that was better? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> can we, can we take a moment to say the gratuitous two scenes? I mean, I get it. Ava Green, superbly smoking hot. Did not, did not need to have the weird communal shower scene with the first one with Matt Damon kind of leching at her and then the second one where, you know, she just looks like she wants to drown herself in the shower. But I mean, it's, it, that's kind of like showing what life is like for female astronauts. And if you're going to be on the International Space Station, you're not going to have privacy. And it's kind of like showing that bathroom, men... You do have privacy. <laughs> it is, okay, it is pr privacy open... is at a... <laughs> more of a minimum so yeah. it, she, you're gonna have to put up with you know some people being dicks and i think that kind of sets the scene for you know some of the challenges she's gonna have to to go yeah. through 
Um, the first time she has, they they have the nudity. It made perfect sense in context mm-hmm. because there's creepy macho dude sitting in the back going like, Judy, have And but the second time, it just felt like, yeah, it, exactly. It cut from a very, as you said, like what the see <laughs> to like, forget about all that that happened. Here's boobs. <laughs> Uh, it well, it did also throw me, and this was one of those things that um, I was a bit like, why? But I mean, it was interesting that she included it, but it threw me that they had that very quick chat about um, whether she was going to stay on her period or not. Um, and then she says she wants to stay on her period. Um, but then they don't kind of, they don't explain it, you know? And for me as a woman, I was just like, oh my God, why would you want to stay on your period for a year in space? That means... <laughs> no sense whatsoever so kind of like if she chose to do it I wanted to you know she says yes really quickly and I kind of wanted to hear what her reasoning was what her decision was over there and then of course Andrew as you pointed out in your review that it it did kind of really have a nice throwback to that true life story about um did she need 5,200 tampons for her 52 weeks in space (laughs) exactly so um yeah so that was one of those other things i was just like i wanted to know more but obviously you can't you know um yeah yeah. andrew did you ask the director about that well do you know i i was going to but i had a short amount of time and i felt too embarrassed to ask that question so i asked this one instead how did you manage to get to film in star city and how cool was it yeah I felt, I felt, I mean, I didn't want it to have this documentary look. It's more like, uh, I really wanted to have a kind of emotional story, a cinema story, and uh, I wasn't obsessed with the realistic look of things, but I wanted to film in those places that were unknown. And to me, there was something exciting because it was a kind of something really uh, virgin, like not any film had been shot there. So it was like first images of a place. And when I went to Kazakhstan, where all the rockets leave the earth, it's, now there is six, but at that time it was the only place to leave, leave the earth. Uh, of course, there is a kind of, it's a very emotional place. And of course, uh, to shoot there was something very inspiring also for actors, Nadilla and Eva, there was something um, exhilarating about the whole adventure of the movie. Also, we were like astronauts meeting, you know, people from different countries. When we had the crew in Germany, then we had to leave them and then meet the Russian crew and then meet the French crew and meet the Kazakh crew. And we had German actors. And so it was like really like the experience of, and we, I had a, a lot of, uh, we did a lot of job with the production while I was writing uh, to get authorization. I, I, I had the, the support, I'm really thankful um, that I had the support of the European Space Agency. And they thought, I told them, there are so many NASA movies uh, which shows the work of NASA that we need one to show European Space Agency work and Russians and uh, because of course people when they think about space they, they think because of the films that space is American yeah. this idea of conference and also this idea of viral but uh, the thing is that there is your, uh, other space agencies and uh, and also at that time Americans were living from uh, Kazakhstan and they spent more than a year in Star City I mean, they have a bigger pool in Houston, but it's when it's time to to leave yeah. first, they 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 have to deal with this uh, Russian technology and to learn the Soyuz and how it works. So, I mean, that was my point about shooting there. And also, uh, I'm you know, uh, my name is Russian. I studied Russian at school, and uh, so and I'm really uh, I love. Um, I feel really close to this culture. I mean, I love the thing that there is this abandoned spacecraft and this thing, I, I think it's really poetical. So I, I was uh, happy to go to shoot there. 
as gratuitous as the beauty of the scenes in the shower were, there is some beauty in the film which is totally deserving to be there, which is the filming at the Baikonur Cosmodrome. And all of that stuff is just gorgeous to look at, isn't it? I, I mean, we all nerded out on that, right? I was really interested to see the sort of uber 70s decor in the, like, the rooms that they all stay in. I don't know, I somehow assumed it was all going to be like, I was, I was picturing like a modern Swiss hotel or something where astronauts just hang out and it's all sort of glass and steel, but instead it was this really 70s, trippy, crazy carpet and stuff. And then obviously also just the sort of seeing that part of the world, which you just never see really, even, even when they're like pulling in um, and they actually go to the launch site and things like that and they go to the, the dome and things. And yeah, it was really awesome seeing that and not, not seeing yet another sort of view of NASA, in, you know, in a space-themed film. So she did mention that, didn't, didn't she, Andrew, in your, when you interviewed her, that she wanted to tell the story of sort of other space agencies because of the sort of monopolizing of uh, the American view of space. Mm-hmm. And it was really nice to see because, uh, yeah, like you said, Tushna, the, the facilities are like, they, they look dated, they are dated. There's the sort of like brutalist architecture. But it was so refreshing to see what it's like that the, the process of preparing to go into space as opposed to what we usually see of like lots of smiling, waving, clapping, you're in the, in, in the, in the, what's it called? You know, the, the pointy bit at the tip of the rocket, the capsule, and then you're just like in space and then cool stuff happens in space. And it's amazing. And we're, I mean, also with science fiction, we're so used to sort of instantaneous space travel. You just like press a button and you beam up and infants are being sent into space and other planets. It's, it was nice to be, Brought brought down to earth in some way, uh, showing how complicated that whole process is, um, how long it takes, the sort of things that you need to do, how you train. I loved watching them get immer- immersed into the water and having to do their mm. sort of tests, grappling and like yeah. pulling people in and stuff like that. It was, that was very enjoyable. So there was like this proper science, hardcore science element in it. And there was like the fiction, but it, you know, that's how it was science fiction, as you said, Andrew, earlier. It wasn't science fiction. I really like that. <laughs> I really like that little camping trip. Why did they do that? I've forgotten now that they had that like little overnight camping trip. Is that, is that meant to be like, if they land somewhere and then they have to trek through a forest? What was the reason behind that? Does anyone remember? Achintia. I don't think they, they mentioned it. And I'll, honestly, I, I don't know enough to, to give mm. you a good answer. But my speculation would be just to put them in isolation and see whether they sort of like kill mm. each other or not. Well, not quite, but whether they <laughs> yeah. get along, whether they can work as a team just to survive an evening in the wilderness, which is a very different setting than being isolated in a hotel room. Um, True, that's probably, isn't, yeah. isn't the that was one of the nicer scenes. Yeah, but isn't the Sorry. purpose of that scene for, as it's a while now since I watched it, but isn't the purpose of that scene for uh, Matt Dillon's character, Mike, to appear more handsome? I mean, better <laughs> as a human being. I didn't feel like he became better. I just felt he sort of was less smart. No, he wasn't less smarmy even. He was just less overtly horrible. Mm. I think that the scene with him when they went shopping and he said, you don't have to be the... I forget the, the adjective that he used, the, the best mother all the time or something like that. And and sort of they contextualize his, not not to excuse his being an asshole, but it was like, when I came back from Afghanistan. Uh, so you're like, okay, he's probably like you see people shouting at him uh, for not having the toothbrush aligned the right way during four o'clock checks or something like that. He's, he's probably a dick. Uh, here's why. But he's maybe not like the worst human being on the planet but you know it didn't it didn't really redeem him very much but it's like okay i guess yeah uh, i tell you what i do love about this film is the soundtrack uh, by ryuchi sakamoto it's a beautiful beautiful thing it's it's sort of at times and i'm not sure whether this is deliberate but it's definitely not a bad thing reminiscent of the interstellar soundtrack absolutely i thought so i thought so kind of swooping when it needed to be perfectly sort of in the background, but giving you that, that feeling in a certain scene. Yeah, it was really beautiful. 
I don't recall oh. hearing any organs. So, <laughs> what was it close to the interstellar <laughs> score? <laughs> Unless it's got I... Hans Zimmer banging away on an organ, then <laughs> doubtful. It was interesting, right? Because the, the movie is in French, and I don't, I mean, I didn't, I understand enough of it to get by, but I couldn't survive without subtitles. And what my brain was drawn to was the long spaces without subtitles. And it's like, oh, there's like this really beautiful, beautiful scene. There's no dialogue. There's nothing happening. It's just taking me through. And that's what I meant earlier when I said some bits were very slowly composed, but still relevant. Like it kept the pace up. And that's when the soundtrack was kind of carrying me along. So I did enjoy the, the, the music. Although I, yeah, Hans Zimmer banging on an organ would have been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting. Do you think it's him that actually plays the organ? I'm not sure. I, I, I we have no reason not to think it isn't. We, well, we do. Because Except we, credits. Yes. Sort of. And also, I, I listen to the episode that we did with the producers of Planet Earth 2, and you'll get a little hint at why I might doubt that. So, I really, in on first viewing, I... Didn't love it, but I nearly loved it. And now I can't wait to own it so I can watch it time and time again. Because uh, I think it's a really beautifully put together film and I think I misunderstood it first time around and that's my fault. And uh, I recommend the film to everybody. So uh, since you've plugged your your review and the review has spoilers at the end. Are we going to do spoilers now? So yeah, I was just going to say, totally, totally. That's exactly what I was going to do. So I was going to say, so I was going to say, and there is a decision at the end of the film where, well, I've touched it. Tell us what happens. So basically, um, right at the end of the, so for, 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 for listeners who might not know this, um, the astronauts just before they leave the planet um, tend to go into um, a lockdown, like all of us have been recently. They, they go into isolation um, to make sure that, you know, nobody's sick, nobody's carrying any germs that could then affect other, you know, the rest of the crew on board. You don't want to be sick in space. Uh, and so they go into this lockdown. But just before this, um, thanks to her useless ex-husband um they miss the flight and so she doesn't get to see stella they um they, they don't get to meet uh they don't get to see each other and they haven't seen each other in ages and their relationship is the most fractured that it's ever been uh there's a really heartbreaking scene where they meet on two sides of a glass wall uh and you can see just you know how awkward and awful it is for the both of them and so stella i'm uh, sorry sarah makes the crazy decision to break out of their um um what's the word i'm looking quarantine for? Quarantine. quarantine quarantine thank you she breaks out of quarantine the night before they're meant to leave um sneaks into the hotel where she knows that her husband and stella are staying and uh, in an attempt to keep her promise to stella of that they would go and see the rocket before she would you know, get on it and leave. Um, they, they, they take a taxi out to the rocket site in the middle of the night and um, go and look at it together. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's that's it's, the it's, shocker. It's really shocking, isn't it? And I, th- I was listening to something on the radio the other day. Some research has been done that people feel more divided by people breaking lockdown and not wearing masks than people felt divided about Brexit. People are more angry with people for breaking... <laughs> lockdown rules and not wearing masks than they are with them the same people i presume who voted fair enough do you reckon that's fair enough because it's actual death that they're causing yeah i mean no one died like immediate right i mean i'm sure like the collapse of your healthcare in the uk eventually is going to kill lots of people as a consequence of brexit but (laughs) thanks or immediate is my point yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Well, it's a, I thought it was a fascinating piece of research. We'll probably post a link to that on the Cosmic Check website. But we do have to go to Alice Winnicott's explanation of that breaking of the lockdown. You know, quarantine, of course, as you know, space is to prevent astronauts from virus and germs, uh, but also uh, to prepare them to to leave the planet, to get to leave the atmosphere and uh, there's a kind of a 
you have to get used to silence. You have to get out of the community of human to prepare yourself, not to death, but to leave, to leave our world. And uh, it's really, and uh, in the lockdown, it's I think something that everyone has experienced this meditation thing about, you know, you, you start to, to, to pay attention to things you didn't like, you didn't know, like, for example, I was like filming insects, insects like, uh, you know, in the garden. And uh, suddenly I realized, oh, that's one shot of my movie, uh, something that the character herself is doing before leaving the earth, you know, that she, she's paying attention to nature and uh, all of those kind of details you don't really pay attention to uh, when there is normal life. Sarah's character breaking the quarantine. I think before lockdown, I would have had a different view of it. But now I'm like, hi, oh, I can't believe she's doing that. And I kind of get why she's doing that. But I can't believe she's doing it. Yeah. What, what's gone? I think um, um, it's something really I imagined. But then when I met real astronauts, uh, one of them, Annalie Fisher, who is a very famous astronaut, first mom in space, told me that she had escaped quarantine in Houston at that time uh, for Halloween to do trick or treats with her daughter because wow. she wanted to spend more time with her before. Because, you know, there's a, of course there's the risk of not coming back, you know, it's a kind, it's just really scary even for astronauts, like the day of lounge. So yes, she had escaped. And a lot of, a lot of astronauts have escaped like Jean-François Clairvois had escaped also to see his son uh, who was very ill at that time and he didn't know, he had decided to leave but he didn't know, I mean there was of course a risk not to see him when, because he had a cancer and many more stories because I think we don't really know if I think some people have trouble with this idea of escaping is that people don't really know even now when they, we have experienced quarantine what is a quarantine for for astronauts it's not like a kind of prison it's more something like if there is guard it's more like to prevent from journalists uh, but of course astronauts don't want to leave you know it's just like a and it's very hard not to see your family. So a lot of them do this. So having read her response in, in your Physics World um, review and having listened to, listened to it again, I, I didn't see it initially as the sort of like, oh, it's the woman being emotional and breaking things. I saw it as like some sort of desperation, like a hum very human desperation. Um, but then when I saw that, and, and like two people have done it, right? One was a woman, one was a man. Um, to see his dying son, um, and to go trick-or-treating, uh, trick treating, of course. But I wonder, did you ask her this? If she'd have made this movie this year, would she have had that scene in? I sort of asked that. But yes, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because it feels very different now. Because imagine COVID on the ISS. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, don't, don't imagine it. No, horrible idea, but uh, yeah. Because astronauts did go to the ISS just after lockdown, didn't they? A couple of weeks after, after lockdown, some new astronauts went up to the ISS and they were in uh, quarantine, obviously, before that and had the, the COVID test before they went up. But yeah. But it, imagine I, if they went and like hugged a, a hospital ward full of people or something like that. And shook hands <laughs> with them. Yeah. Early, early in that period, just started shaking hands with people. I mean, what kind of so moron guess... would do that? That's leadership. <laughs> <laughs> what you expect from astronauts. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I think the situation is that now we all have this very different perspective of lockdown, quarantine and these things, whereas as Anna, um, sorry, as Alice explains, um, that it's almost, you know, part of, like, I think by this point, these astronauts have had such a battery of health tests that it'd be really weird if they have anything, um, you know, unexpected suddenly wrong with them and so really putting them in this quarantine is more about just I don't know making sure they don't <laughs> just disappear the night before and not come back or you know the media frenzy that she kind of talks about 
you know, and sort of keeping them caged in and away from all of that. So I kind of, I kind of, yeah, it feels, I know, bloody journalist. <laughs> I, I think it feels less shocking now. I think it feels less shocking now. But yeah, the, the real point of that was that, you know, she was forced. I felt like she was so forced to make that decision so that she doesn't absolutely, you know, leave the planet. And, and you know, let's, let's be honest about this. Um, there's a very good chance that, you know, if she doesn't come back, then none of them survive this mission. It's a year in space. That's a lot can go potentially horribly wrong. Um, so, so I understand, I understand the like severity of the decision that she had to make and the fact that she really wanted to, um, you know, make sure that she had um, a really good sort of final evening with her daughter. Um, who, and also, do you know what was really cute? that right at the end of the film, like this is this is when they're actually on the launch pad and that, um, that, you know, she'd been teaching her daughter all the steps of what happens and how the takeoff goes and, and her daughter was that. reciting. Oh, I that love that scene. It was so beautiful. touching. It was so lovely. It was so great that, you know, she was so involved with what her mum was doing that, you know, they, they'd always talked about it. It wasn't just this, mommy's doing a scary thing. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think that they'd have had that same moment if she hadn't done what she did. I'm glad she did it. So now that Ty's had a few drinks, uh, and, and since you're the only one who saw the movie before the world went into this sort of weird lockdown, how was... How, could you contrast the reception? Because you're the only one of us who saw the movie before everything went to shit. Um, yeah, I mean, before before everything went to hell, um, I think the response was that, you know, it was less about breaking quarantine and kind of proving anyone that doubted her right. So it was less about the quarantine and more kind of like, look, you're doing exactly what, people thought you might do because you're a mother and therefore you're emotional. The quarantine aspect was important, but it was more about her almost proving her doubt is right. And you can read into that any way you want. I think, you know, she, t she takes steps to kind of mitigate that, you know, and you can weigh up whether it was worth it or not. I think watching it now, I, I think there is, there would definitely be a second way of looking at, that you know now we live in a, a coronavirus world it's just i mean it'd be weird just to see her hugging her daughter yeah, um you know and, and being that close to teammates and going you're going to get into a capsule with those three strangers i guess you've been in your bubble for a couple of weeks mm. um Not really weird watching stuff now i on, like, i watch I'm watching... like anyone hugging and it just is like yeah. what are you doing <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. so weird so weird. I hope we get out of this one day. It's horrible, isn't it? Imagine, I mean, what, how have we got in the space of, I know how we have, but we've got to a point now where watching people being friendly with each other is upsetting and disturbing. It's really, really bad. <laughs> so a little while ago, we had a, we had a sort of uh, article in Physics World uh, in the Lateral Thoughts, which is the back page, the sort of slightly humorous things, which in which someone talked about how strange it is that um, the first Apollo mission, when you know the first three <laughs> astronauts came back to Earth, that they quarantined on their way back, that they were made to quarantine because at that mm, point, you know, people were dogs. exactly, yeah, yeah, and, and and that. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's like, you know, looking at it in reverse too now. So maybe, mm. you know, and, the, and then I started thinking about like, you know, so if the whole, like if, if we had a 28 days kind of scenario, then the people probably on the ISS would be the only ones to survive. And then that reminded me of the truly awful teen sci-fi TV series called The 100 or The 100. Oh, yeah. um, Ty, have you, have you ever watched this? No, my brother's a big fan though. I know he's watched it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh. It, it's it kind of, I really like the premise, which is that, you know, there's nuclear war and all life on earth gets wiped out. And the only people survive are the people who are on space stations. And then there's multiple space stations and somehow they join them up in space. And so you have these people who live only in space, but um, it's got to that point now where the radio, the, the, the radioactive waste on earth might have finally died down. So in a bid to save humanity, what do they do? They send out 100 
stroppy teenagers and see if they survive. <laughs> That's the plot of the 100. That's brilliant. What could go it's, wrong? You've, yeah. You've, um, you've, you've, <laughs> You've saved me watching it. Thank you for that. Because there's so I survived. Many... I somehow survived the first season, and then I gave oh, up. Well <laughs> there's so many things to watch at the moment. I mean, like the the, the Mandalorian two trailers. Just, mm. oh, that's Indeed, great. That, I mean that that little. I didn't say that because I'm not cool enough. That little moment in the trailer, where, you know, Baby Yoda does the thing. It's just brilliant. I mean, I cannot wait for that. It is too good. Yeah. Am I going to be kicked off all subsequent episodes of this for saying I have no idea what you're talking about? <sighs> <laughs> oh, Achintia is so uncool. To be honest, Achintia, there's, there's so many things that you're not allowed to talk about on this podcast because you don't know about them. Like, you don't know that Discovery is really good Star Trek, for example. Is it though? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? I'm afraid all we've got time for. Um, I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I should be nicer to you because you're editing this. So, getting back to Proxima and Mums in Space, have you seen Away? No. I haven't caught it yet, unfortunately. Yeah. What did you think of it, Andrew? The first I, I've only seen the first, the first episode. Yeah, well, just one so far. And um, I like it enough to carry on. I think um, I think Hilary Swank's great. Um, I enjoyed her in I Am Mother. Is that is that what it's called? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that. Yeah, and yeah. and it's you know it's about space, so that's good. But there's a thing in it which is linked, apart from just the mum in space thing. She, the character who's called some emma green i think so that's another so you're thinking of eva green <laughs> yes i know i'm not it's just called emma green i'm pretty sure or maybe mm. she's not she's called emma something anyway she goes to leave her daughter for three years three mm. years that's i mean honestly i leave lyra my daughter for a night and i'm like oh look, this is enough yeah, but she's not a teenager yet. You know, this oh, this astronaut could be getting out early. She's daughter's just about to hit fourteen, and she's like, "Fuck Ow. it, <laughs> you and you're an adult." I'm going three years. Yeah, fourteen. No, probably like twelve. Twelve, 12 and a half yeah. to thirteen. Twelve and I'm yeah. out. Yeah. Don't don't ruin it yeah. for Andrew. Let him enjoy enjoy it while in, you know. <laughs> um, listen, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, Achintia, Ty, and Tushner, and thank you of course to the wonderful alice winnicore for the interview and if you'd like to read more then do go to physicsworld.com where you can find pretty much the transcript of what you've just heard not our bits just the bit that alice said and thank you very much for listening <laughs> the cosmic shed science fact science fiction and everything in between this podcast is brought to you by the stimulus network um, we need to come back to Ty Towers at Spoken for Ages. Um, uh, Ty, tell us something else. <laughs> beautiful segue. Beautiful. Say, say, I see why thing, you're a Ty, professional a podcast producer. I've started reading June. I'm really enjoying oh, that. Okay, right. That's good. That's irrelevant. Right, listen. Sorry. Um, 